Don't you know, Coo? Driver! Hello and welcome to the Interstate Wrestling Podcast brought to you by the Lunchador Podcast Network. This is the wrestling fan podcast that is bringing you on a journey of joy, adoration, enthusiasm and total nerdism into the world of wrestling. I'm your co-host James. And I'm Josh Mordecai. Excited to kind of go back to that kind of open discussion after uh, after the wallop last time. Just a little bit more conversation tonight. Mm-hmm. Got to give a shout out to the uh, reaction and support we got for the wall, and no less to the brain of Josh Mordecai, because folks, <laughs> that gem that you heard in real time, that story unfold, was the historian, research, wrestling aficionado that is Josh Mordecai. You were you structured something pretty special there, and of course, we'll, we'll revisit the wallop down the road and uh, oh, yeah. sight to see where your brain goes again, but what a hell of a story you pulled together. Yeah, it was a fun one. The next two are kind of more straightforward wrestling history from what I have planned right now, but some kind of cool stories in there too. One I'm really excited about, kind of under-discussed, and super important. We may as well have got the scandalous, lascivious one out of the way, eh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was a lot of fun. And again, Bears repetition. Uh, we got a really good reaction to that episode and it uh, seemed to play out as a, a lot of fun, a real fun listen for a lot of people. So we appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you, everybody. Just before we dive in tonight, uh, as you say, back to our more sort of wrestling fandom exposés and discussions here, uh, I think since we last got together and recorded there were some pretty astonishing cuts from the wwe roster weren't they yeah and i uh, i wanted to pick your brain for a minute about that because uh looking back over the last 12 15 months of cuts now at this point and i think we made the gag previously that april 15th is no longer tax day it's actually axe day for the wwe yeah <laughs> there's been all of these cuts and people go now there's a slew of roster gone Alistair Black, Tommy End, gone from WWE, I think is one that yeah. really was astonishing for me. Yeah, they had just started doing that kind of cool, weird, dark father thing with them. He had just come out and confronted Big E, so it was clear where that was headed. Now Zelina Vega just came back, so he got cut at the same time his wife got re-signed. It's a very strange... That's one where I'm curious where it goes because it's been such kind of... Everything he's posted has been so glowingly positive, as opposed to sometimes when you see a release and they're like, I'm finally excited to show you what I can actually do, you know? I saw his conversation with Renee Paquette, John Moxley's wife, of course, and it was kind of a very candid conversation, but he was very complimentary. And again, I, I guess that's that's commendable, right? There's a professionalism to that. Mm-hmm. But it was right on that line of like, he's gone and his wife is like almost right back. And you've got to think, haven't we? And again, not to create sort of any conspiracy theories or aspersions here, but I'd love to kind of know what's going on in the writer's room at the WWE at the moment, because they're just letting some great talent go. 
and then re-signing the likes of Eva Marie, which right, yeah, I missed her first tenure in in WWE, so I gotta I gotta say that fairly. I don't really know who she is as a wrestler. Yeah, what I do know about her is that she had a bit of a tumultuous time while she was there the first go around, right? Yeah, and her like her gimmick was kind of funny. It was that she always found some way out of actually wrestling. So she would come up for a match, and then they would announce something happened, or her music would hit, and they would announce she was stuck in traffic, that type of thing. But from what I remember, it was not really like an amicable split at the time. Don't know how much of it is kind of her as a vehicle for Dewdrop, Piper Niven, Viper, whatever you want to call her. Not they've been paired up. But that's what I'm hoping out of the whole situation is that Piper Niven ends up with something really solid out of all this. The other one that I just saw something today about is uh, Arturo Ruas, who was released... He's like an actual, he has a fighting background. And apparently the plan was, so there's the Diamond Mind that just debuted with Tyler Rust and Roddy Strong, guy whose name I don't know, and Malcolm Bivens managing. And the whole idea is that's guys with a legit background. And he was in the original plan for that and then got cut. So I have no idea where those cuts are coming from. Yeah, the Samoa Joe one was similarly done as well, wasn't it? That he was axed from the main roster. And I think there was a leak where... He was backstage for one of the recent pay-per-views, and then obviously he signed the NXT, but I would love to know. I would love to kind of get a sense of rationale, and maybe you never will. Yeah. And again, to say for a second time, no conspiracy theories, no aspersions here, but there's some solid contributing talent that are gone. Yeah. And talent coming back or still with the company that maybe haven't been as front-forward, front-contributing, that they're really sticking with and putting their money behind. And, you know, I'm certainly not making any disparagements about one person is better than another or things of that nature. But right. the fundamental fact is, Tommy End being the case in point, there was a pretty significant, you thought, story being built there. Like, why go at that point? But just interesting to see this slew, this deluge of departures happening, isn't it? Yeah, and I think it's kind of a criticism that they get very often, which is that they care... It seems whoever in the company puts more stock in nostalgia than in creating something new, right? So like, exactly like you were saying, they let all these people go, and even Marie shows back up, because there's people who remember her from 10 years ago. Right. And I also wonder how it's going to impact people. We've talked so often about how there's so many different places you can go now. If I'm a known name on the indies, is WWE still going to be top of my list? Because it is everybody's childhood dream, right, to work there. But if you can be booked for a solid, clear vision of a mid-card angle, and then you're cut, is that going to stop people in their tracks before they go to that tryout in Vegas they have coming up? That's an excellent point, isn't it? Yeah, is, has it undermined their own allure, their own worth in some way? Right. That's interesting, yeah. It certainly seems to have raised the stock, doesn't it? And again, it does to my eye, being a relapsed fan of the last couple, three years, whatever it is at this point, that your Ring of Honors, your Impact, so on, they have gained in worth, one, choice in wrestling, we've discussed that, two, other places for people to go and work, the onset of AEW kind of creating competition, but you're right, you can be this aspiring I don't know, Danhausen or, right. or Effie or, you know, look at somebody like Billy Starks, who is, what, 16, 17 years old, and she's going to be something special as a wrestler, isn't she? Oh, yeah. You don't necessarily need to aspire to the WWE to make it. Right. Yeah. 
I wonder if they if they are selling their own value, you know, mortgaging their own value, maybe a little bit. Interesting point. Yeah. Maybe an episode down the road, folks. <laughs> <laughs> the other news, and I don't know if you saw this the other day, speaking of weird moments, well, two weird things, kind of related to things we talked about before. XPW is apparently coming back. <laughs> Rob Black tweeted that he's, there's going to be a show where they crown a new XPW t- uh, champion. And it's all the very, like, XPW, term of champions, fuck woke culture. Like, exactly what you would expect <laughs> of what we learned last time in 2021. Rumor has it, and again, allegations, allegations, folks. Rumor has it, Rob Black listened to the Interstate Wrestling Podcast wallop episode and thought, wow, it's time for XPW to make her And now is the time, yeah. That's why I said, I don't know if we willed that into being, but um, <laughs> FMW, Onita's Deathmatch promotion, FMW also just returned on the 4th of July. So they had a whole online streaming show. He brought it back on the 4th. And there was one match in there that was donation-based. So once you hit a certain tier of donations, a new weapon was introduced to the match. (laughs) So once we hit X amount, they could start using chairs. Yeah. (laughs) Tables get introduced at this point. At this point, we introduce a bullwhip. Like, yeah. And it was the women's match, no less, was the donation-based 21st century fans bring the weapon match. So two huge developments in the world of deathmatch. So I've only seen clips. I haven't seen the full show yet. That's amazing. That's like telethon death matches, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. You know, last thing worth uh, mentioning before we um, hit the interstate for tonight's topic is uh, AEW hits arenas this Wednesday. Yeah. Back to live shows on the road. And of course, SummerSlam got announced for the, uh, what is it? The Allegiant Stadium in uh, in Las Vegas. Um as I've said dozens of times, we are not a COVID-19 podcast, but bears documenting, doesn't it, that we are, to break kayfabe for a second, we are the 5th of July here, that in two days' time, AEW hits arenas and goes back on the road out of Daily Place. And I, I wanted to give a shout out because the, the video package they did at the end of last week's Dynamite to sort of say farewell and thank you to Daily's Place was uh, was really touching. That was really nicely done. Whoever put that VT together yeah. did a real nice job. Yeah, and I, I'm excited to see kind of what the WWE video response is because their production company tends to be so great. I mean, they can make some some really fun intro stuff. So I'm excited to kind of see what that looks like. Like you said, with SummerSlam, they always do that opening video. What's that look like this year? Yeah, excellent point. But um, as you raise WWE again, that's the, uh, the perfect segue into also what came about since we last sat down and uh, had a conversation, isn't it? Is WWE put out their list of the top 50 tag teams in their eyes. And uh, as we'll get into in a moment, there were rules and stipulations around who and what qualified. But it really spurred us to, to think about tag teams, didn't it? And tag team wrestling. So uh, what do you say, Mr. Mordecai? Shall we uh, hit the interstate and uh, let's talk about tag team wrestling? Hell yeah, let's do it. Tag team wrestling. Big, meaty, broad subjects. Here we go again. Episode 9, and we'll just chew off a giant rock shall we the history of tag team wrestling just kidding (laughs) so wwe have put out this list and we'll get to this throughout this conversation their top 50 tag teams and there's rule stipulations as we just said in the open 
and really sort of the genesis of wanting to talk about this tonight. I don't know about you, but as I scan through it, it's pretty eye-opening. Spoiler alert, the Rockers are not in the top 10, mm-hmm. for example. Yeah. And it just really started to make me think, and I think it started to make us think about tag team wrestling as a whole. And, you know, I think the WWE, Vince perhaps, allegedly, they just seem to have desecrated the art of tag team wrestling. I was trying to think about actual tag teams that are still left in the WWE at this point. Yeah. And uh, I'm not sure I made it past fingers on one hand, honestly, but um, it's a beautiful art form of wrestling and it tells a really different story, doesn't it? And again, thinking back to the recent Double or Nothing, the Bucks versus Kingston and Moxley was definitely a favorite for me on that night. And I think that in part was because of what tag team wrestling is, because of how the story is different. Cutting the ring in half and holding one guy sort of hostage and beating him up and then that hot tag, like it just gets the crowd going. Where does tag team wrestling as a form sort of live for you? Uh, I, I love it for exact same reasons you're saying, right? It really does give you kind of some new opportunities to tell stories. It does give you kind of new ways to see the wrestlers themselves. What's really interesting about it is that there are some people who really thrive in tag teams and don't have it for whatever reason in a singles run right that's always the big question is if ftr broke up can either one of them have a successful singles run my favorites are the ones where they're purposeful where you can kind of see that they're a team they're not just like well we have nothing else for these two guys let's put them together with some exceptions, I'm sure. Like Team Hell No, who's on the list, was great. But yeah, just the like you said, the storytelling, the chemistry, kind of the different types of teams you can put against each other. It's, it's just a new layer to what wrestling can be. Yeah, big time. You raise a, an integral point to this discussion, and that's tag teams that are purposeful, that look like they're a team, mm-hmm. versus two guys that are thrown together and not to be the doomsayer of WWE throughout this conversation by any means, but there's a lot of like people just being thrown together arbitrarily, it feels, at the moment in WWE, mm-hmm. with a diminishing amount of actual teams. Your example was brilliant. FTR are a team. Could you imagine either of them having a singles push? Right. Could you imagine Nick or Matt Jackson having a big singles push? They've wrestled individually. Right. But I think in my eyes, and you you have a lot more experience in history with somebody like the Young Bucks, but they're symbiotic to each other. I, I mean, aside from being brothers, obviously, but they're a team. The good case study to this, though, and again, we said the name once already, spoiler for a second time, they're not even in the top 10, were the Rockers. And that split was astounding, wasn't it? The barbershop window, that whole thing. Yeah. And Sean went on to have a prolific career as a singles. Oh, yeah. So there are examples, I guess, right, where that, synergist team can stand on their own yeah definitely and i i think that's the go-to example of that right and on the flip side marty not for whatever reason not doing the same thing but yeah i mean there's there's a reason why the term tag team specialist exists right is there's just some people where that is what they do best yeah the story differences to hark back to that point make it a very different match don't they? and again i think it's created career paths for older talent or maybe talent more physically burned out to stay in the ring and do things haven't they there was a really good undertaker match where he teamed with roman reigns i think it was but like taker in the last few years being able to do some tag team stuff with kane and brothers of destruction and yeah you know or even just kind of end up in tag teams allowed him to go out 
to a crowd that wanted to see him, but not have to do all the legwork, pun intended, given he's putting a big boot to people's faces on many of occasion, right? <laughs> it tells a very different story in the ring as well. Gives factions, doesn't it? And I, I've spent a lot of time sort of thinking about going into this conversation as well, not even just tag team wrestling, but then sort of the trios, which I think AEW are on the precipice of introducing a trios belt. And then looking at really what New Japan did with the factions where you get then sort of the four or five guys and you can kind of intermingle members from the Bullet Club or LIJ or, or, or whatever. It gets compelling to build war stories, doesn't it? The inner circle versus the pinnacle, things of that nature, the elite versus the inner circle. Yeah, and then you get into stuff like, like in tag wrestling, you end up with the Freebird rule, right, where... New Day is the great modern example of that. It's three guys in a group. They have a tag title. And then who are the tag champs for that night? Whoever's in the ring. So you get this like really great variable of, are they matching them up because their styles? Is there a deeper story here? Is it that they want, like we're, we're putting this guy in because he wants to fight the other guy? Or we're taking this guy out because we're trying to protect him? Type of storytelling that you can do with that type of additional Freebird piece. It was a nice element to the New Day, wasn't it, when Kofi was the WWE champion as well. And New Day, I mean, what if they had the belts at this point? New Day, 10, 11 times they've been tag team champions. I'm trying to think of Big E's opening intro to their theme music. <laughs> and that was sort of a nice sort of powerhouse then at that point, wasn't it? Yeah. You know, it really sort of delineated the New Day as being strong. Yeah. Kofi is the champion, X and Big E carrying the tag belt. Yeah. Made the New Day look strong so that when Kofi wasn't WWE champion, he could slot right back into the New Day culture ethos pancake throwing <laughs> <laughs> yeah be right back at the top of the championship picture right yeah what have been some of the standout tag teams for you in your fandom yeah i was thinking today we've, we've talked about how it's very much a um the main time i really was watching and the ones that like hit deepest with me are all like your new gen early attitude era stuff when it was all like heavily gimmicked and kind of purposeful so obviously heart foundation is going to be up there the Rockers, like you mentioned. But then I always think of I think of like Money Inc. as being big time tag team when I was a kid. The Steiners, who again, not in the top ten of that list, which is incredible to me. Harlem Heat on that list. I'm trying to think who else were like the really big ones when I was younger. And then you start to get into weird times where there's not a ton of tag team wrestling. Once you hit like the Attitude Era, it starts to slow down a little bit. You got like the Dudleys, the Hardys, Edge and Christian. And then they start to get kind of Teddy Long putting guys together on SmackDown type of teams for a bit. Right, hodgepodging it together a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So I think I have kind of checkpoint teams throughout the different eras that I think are great examples of tag team wrestling. How about you? What are your standouts? I was kicking this around the same sort of contemplative who and where in what eras and, and why. And certainly to my earliest memories and fandom, absolutely the legion of doom yeah i mean talk about the full gimmick the full package right yeah the music the paint the spikes yeah the brutish physicality i mean they just were a force to be reckoned with they were astonishing to see and again especially yeah little old me in england seeing these nfl shoulder pads with these you know 10 inch spikes off of them yeah coming down on the ringside on motorbikes giving a wink and a nod to SummerSlam 92 yeah which uh as we head towards the SummerSlam territory in a, in a few weeks legion of doom was something special absolutely something special heart foundation money inc is definitely a favorite tag team because again 
I think I would argue that is a good example where there was the natural pairing of two random guys. Now, if you listen to this, you might say, well, it wasn't so random because one's a millionaire and one's the tax man. There's, there's a money reference here. Right. Yeah, granted. But Ted DiBiase was very successful in his own right. Ted DiBiase didn't need to be in a tag team, did he? Yeah. And then you get Erwin Arshayster coming on board. He's, he's coming over from WCW. And that pairing felt like bringing two standalones together and just magic happening yeah they looked great i I love that match at wrestlemania 8 i'll talk about wrestlemania 8 ad nauseum against the natural disasters who i think were a brilliant tag team as well because they were just i was just about to bring them up (laughs) they were just fucking enormous weren't they yeah yeah and another great example of two guys who seem like they don't go together like earthquake is doing doing great on his own um earthquake had matches against hulk hogan right oh yeah yeah it's hilarious when you watch those matches because he's he's like in his I want to say late twenties, early thirties when you see a lot of those matches, and he looks a million years old. <laughs> like he has that Arn Anderson born a middle aged man syndrome going. But when Typhoon was tugboat, he was just this kind of like joke, and then he gets with Earthquake and the Natural Disasters as Typhoon, and like you said, they're these monsters for a while. So that's another really great example of like. I don't know, sometimes slapping two guys together does work. And they were tag champions, the natural disasters, on at least one occasion. Actually, I think they won the belts at WrestleMania 8, as I recall from Money, Inc. Trying to think other examples. I remember sort of in the early days, sort of demolition, and talk about that three, Axe Smash and Crush. Crush, yeah. I can't recall how they sort of played out, like how they sort of rotated in and out the equation, but they were a trio's faction ultimately, weren't they? Yeah, and I think it was kind of a similar thing, just whoever the two were... We're in the match that night. Right. Uh, the Bushwhackers is another team that I can't believe I forgot in that first round. <laughs> that really stick out as being like a team you have to think of when you think of that era of tag team wrestling. And what's great with them is when they were in New Zealand, like in the US, they're goofy. They're licking fans' heads. They're doing home improvement vignettes with Lord Alfred Hayes. In New Zealand, when they're the sheep herders, they were like exceptionally violent, like bloody Abdul the Butcher type blood stuff, fearsome, vicious. And they come to the States and they're this like jokey cousin Butch and cousin Luke gimmick. But I, I can't believe, yeah, that's, that's well said. I can't believe we're not sort of raising the Bushwhackers sort of the beginning of that thought because yeah. they are exactly what you just described coming to the ring, that sort of rhythmic driven New Zealand sound entrance, the arm stomping, the arm thing, <laughs> the licking people's heads, just yeah. super goofy, super ridiculous, super comedic. And they were so over, weren't they? I mean, they were brilliant. They they were, I think, more times on the losing streak, they were more the jobber to the match more than anything, right? But yeah. you couldn't help but love the Bushwhackers because they were so, so ridiculous. That's that's amazing. I, I know of them as the sheep herders, but I've never really seen anything that they did in New Zealand. And I'd have to spend some time and go back and see that because that sounds crazy just to see them in, in different lights. The other one that I think people should talk about them more is the Motor City Machine Guns. I think they're, uh, I don't know if underrated is the word, but they're two guys that just were so ahead when they were doing that early, mid-2000s impact run. Just the chemistry, the timing on their tag stuff, really clever ways of doing tag moves and playing off of each other. Super, super influential to the teams you see today who do a lot of double team work 
so yeah, any old Mortar City Machine Gun matches from Impact, like 2006, 2007, are worth a watch. They're having a great resurgence or a, a great run of it again as well on, in the moment in Impact, aren't they? They've, uh, yeah. They're back with uh, with a vengeance. Yeah. Speaking of sort of sticking two guys together, these following examples will be more sort of overtly intentful to the storyline, but obviously let's not ignore sort of WrestleMania 1 where you had... Hulk Hogan and Mr. T against Roddy and Paul Ondorf. Like, yeah. where I'm kind of going with my train of thought is when you had, like, the Mega Maniacs and the Mega Powers and things like that, where you had these massive names, Hulk Hogan, Macho Man, Ultimate Warrior, slap them together as a tag team. You know, Hogan, arguably any of those guys, Hogan, Macho Man, Ultimate Warrior, had no need to be in tag teams in the least bit. What do you make of some of those powerhouse tag teams? Is it is it unfair to call it a powerhouse tag team? I don't think so at all. Because as you were saying that, I was thinking, like, those are three of the biggest names in the history of wrestling. And putting them together, I mean, obviously there's a build, but those are very, like, one-night-only type of pairings that I think probably do help sell tickets or buys or whatever to see that kind of once-in-a-lifetime thing. And like you said, they definitely didn't need those pairings. So that's a great example of, like, it lending itself to the story, common enemy let's team up and take care of them it does also kind of i think to an extent take away from the drama of the match though because are hogan and savage gonna lose a tag match are we gonna take our two top stars and we're gonna have them take the pin you know what i mean you kind of lose that kind of drama of what's gonna end up here the believability that Hogan's going to eat the pen. Just period. That's an evergreen <laughs> statement. <laughs> you know, as, as a digression, not tag team at all. I've been delving back through a lot of WCW stuff recently mm-hmm. and um, been trying to watch a lot of the, uh, a lot of the pay-per-view. So I was, was tuning into Halloween Havocs and scrolling through. And as a digression, digression, <laughs> Peacock sucks. It's such yeah. a terrible platform. Please yeah. bring back the network. I hate everything about Peacock. Yeah. But I was just scrolling through and I got to like Halloween Havoc 8 or something like that. And I was like, Macho Man versus Hulk Hogan? What? <laughs> and then <laughs> Halloween Havoc 10 was like... I think Halloween Havoc 10 was Hogan versus Warrior again. And I did know like some of these matches had happened. And I know especially the Hogan Ultimate Warrior one paled in comparison to the WrestleMania 6 match. Of course it did because it wasn't WrestleMania 6. But it does play into the context of what we're talking about. Tag teams here is does pairing some of this together detract the sum of its worth? These powerhouse tag teams, WCW sort of redoing, rehashing, because the Mega Powers collide, WrestleMania Five, right, is the breakdown of that tag team. It's the love triangle with Miss Elizabeth and yeah. Randy's jealousy and all the rest of it. So it ultimately played out to a storyline. Yeah. But it's just like, wow, I didn't realize just how much WCW went back to the well. <laughs> oh, yeah. And that's the golden time period for that, is, is that. Put a pin in that. We can do a, a real solid WCW couple of shows at some point. But I think what you're saying is also very true is if you're like what's the ultimate goal are you putting them in a team in service of a story because i think like rock and sock connection and how they became like a beloved tag team and it was just this kind of almost like annoying little brother scenario but that was done as part of a story and ended up going somewhere and i mean that's mick foley and the rock Mm -hmm. so two of the other biggest names in history the two-man power trip triple h and stone cold steve austin Right. So some of these huge, huge names, even Triple H and Shawn Michaels, right? It's all 
story that drives it. Talk about factions, that DX faction, right? With New Age Outlaws, Kane and X-Pac, right? Like all these... I guess I didn't give the Attitude Era enough credit for tag teams earlier. Now that we're kind of doing this run of, <laughs> of names, they're more tucked in than I thought. Spilling through them all, yeah. Yeah. And I think your two kings of being thrown into teams are kind of ironically are Chris Jericho and the Big Show. Yeah. Who themselves were Jericho. So they're in a team together. But there's so many examples of them just being thrown with a random person and then like getting a title run out of it. I don't know how they consistently did it. <laughs> Pairings that you thought were just like, what the fuck is going on here? A- anyway, you've just been like, this makes no sense. You you just gave a really good example of somebody like McFoley Mankind and The Rock, who mm-hmm. two of the signature names in wrestling, but about as chalk and cheese as collaborators, as tag team partners as you could possibly imagine. And there was magic there. There was there was story and purpose there, wasn't there? But experiments that you thought have gone wrong oh man i'd have to think i can think of ones where like them messing with them i was like why would you do that like most recently your american alpha or the shelton benjamin shorty g thing like you have this varsity club steiner brothers world's greatest tag team this kind of history of good legit collegiate wrestlers being incredible tag teams and then you break them up for some reason right that sticks out to me more than weird pairings, I think. The Iconics will be an example of that because... Another great example. They were gold for me. Yeah. And, you know, all credit to Billy Kay. We talked about this on the Mania episode, didn't we? She uh, she was really working, trying to get a story, momentum, any kind of booking. She had some great spots and ultimately ended up in that tag team knockout tournament that Natalia and Tamina went on to the, the second night. But the Iconics seemed to be so right seemed to get over they won the women's tag belts why split that up and talk about the new day why have they pulled that apart that's a great question i don't really know because like we already said you can have with a trio you can have a singles run and keep the group together right i really have no idea because i think the iconics are a great example of being a good blend of comedy and like not feeling like it's a bit that they have the titles right like Incredible champions, but also really funny. So I have no idea. And that Tamina Natty team, I think, is one that is a weird pairing. Like, is it just that they're second generation, third generation, whatever it is at this point? Like, why that pairing? Same with Naya and Shayna. Why those two? I don't know why I'm just doing women's teams right now. But uh, Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross was another weird one Mm -hmm. that I didn't really understand. Yeah, I don't know. I'll have to think if there's like men's teams that I didn't understand the pairing on. I think another good example of one that I thought wouldn't work at first, but ended up being great is the bar. Oh yeah. And that being like a weird, like we get it. They don't like each other. And then becoming one of the better tag teams in the past five years. That's got to be testament to just how good Cesaro and Sheamus actually are in the ring though, as well, isn't it? As you think, oh, the pairing on paper looks a bit iffy. Then the two of them get in the ring and what they can put out on the mat is incredible, isn't it? And that's not to say that's not true of other teams as well. It's uh, the ability in the ring, if not the gimmick, gets them over pretty well, doesn't it? Yeah, and that kind of calls back to your Money, Inc. thing where there's a natural chemistry there when you get them together. Like, they're good workers, they put on compelling matches, but also there's just, like, this relationship they have that makes them believable as a team. I think that's probably the real magic of a tag team, right? It's like, these are two people who really have genuine chemistry together 
and there's just something deeper that allows them to be that team, right? When you're looking at how many siblings there have been, when you look at how many are stories, if they've known each other, Edge and Christian trained together, they've known each other since day one, these kind of deeper relationships that you either have coming in or you form, I think is probably the key to being a great tag team. Yeah, because the energy, the synergy has got to be there to get the two of you over, hasn't it? Obvious to say, you're not just telling a single story here. You're not telling a solo story. You're getting a collaborative story over, aren't you, is what you're trying to do. Yeah, there's a lot of emotions you can play with in that. There's, you know, if they do break them up and you've really built that story, it makes it a little bit more of a gut punch that they're not together anymore. Yeah, I think that's the the key is that chemistry that they have together. So we've danced around this list that came out. I feel like we should quickly run through the names that are on this, spell out the stipulations that WWE gave to pull it together. By their own reporting, WWE said there were four conditions as to how a tag team ended up on this list. The first point was that only WWE teams were eligible, meaning no gangsters, no Sting and Lex Luger, no Mulkey Brothers. The second consideration was teams were rated only on their accomplishments while in WWE. So we'll talk about the Steiners, who were a phenomenal tag team. Hands down, a standout tag team in WCW for me. Interesting that they came over to WWE. But point number two, only accomplishments while in WWE. Third, eligibility began with the first recognized world tag team champions of Luke Graham and Taz and Tyler. Happen to recall how far back they go? I just looked at this this morning. It's the 70s. It is. Is it 72? Oh, so close. 71. So all the way back to 1971. We talked before the show about, as a historian, I do not give a shit about dates. <laughs> so to be fair to me, right. plus or minus one is pretty good. <laughs> fair disclosure there. We were just uh, talking about that, weren't we? And I put you right on the spot there to say, tell me the date. Tell me the date. Uh, 1971. I, I didn't realize the WWE, WWF Tag Team Championships dated back that far. And then the final consideration were the rankings were based on everything from longevity to cultural impact. They do Mm -hmm. report personal biases may have also crept in. So at least they're going so far to say is this list is our decision and nobody else's. Yeah. So we'll take a quick flyby of these 50 teams. Maybe we'll stretch our legs a little bit more in the top 10. At number 50 is the Bushwhackers. 49, too cool. 48, the Quebecers, interesting. Mm-hmm. 47, the Smoking Guns. 46, Strike Force. 45, the Head Shrinkers. 44, Kane and X-Pac. 43, Evolution. 42, Eminem. 41, the Nasty Boys. I definitely feel like the Nasty Boys should be higher rated than 41. Mm-hmm. 40, Rated RKO. 39, Pollen and Brian Kendrick. 38, DIY. 37, the World's Greatest Tag Team. 36 Money Inc. I also feel like they should be in the top 20. Yeah, I am surprised that DIY made it on this list. Like, they're, I mean, they're a great tag team. They have super compelling matches in NXT with uh, the Revival, mm-hmm. right? Those matches are incredible from those takeovers. That was my first hint that, like, oh, this is a much different list than I think I was expecting, including them. Sure. Um, 35, the team that you've already mentioned here, Jericho, Jericho <laughs> and Big Show. 34, Natural Disasters. 33, the Street Profits, 32, the Briscoe Brothers, 31, Harper and Rowan, 30, Owen Hart and the British Bulldog, 29, Miz and Morrison, 28, the Bar, 27, Team Hell No. Again, quick interlude here. I feel like they deserve to be higher for how good that story was and how well they got over and they won the belts. Yeah, and 
kind of a goofy thing, like Dr. Shelby doing group therapy and them yelling yes and no in each other's faces and hug it out. Like, that's goofy shit. And it was so good. Yeah, it was so good. <laughs> 26, Nikolai Volkov and the Iron Sheik. 25, Los Guerreros. 24, the APA. Always pounding ass. <laughs> <laughs> I still don't recognize John Bradshaw Layfield in APA. Yeah. I can only see him with the cowboy hat. <laughs> 23, the Blackjacks. 22, the Shield. 21, Degeneration X. Don't even make the top 20. That's very surprising. Yeah. Especially since they were like such a huge part of every angle for a while. Mm -hmm. The other one that's kind of funny is having the APA and the Blackjacks back to back because the tag team that Bradshaw was in before the APA was the new Blackjacks. And it was him with Barry Windham. So I don't know if that's a, a wink to the fact that the Blackjacks are better than the new Blackjack. But those two back-to-back -back is kind of a funny note. Yeah. And then we get into the top 20. And at the 20th spot, the Undisputed Era. Which is so surprising. Especially right before DX. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. 19, Soul Patrol. 18, Mr. Fuji and Toru Tanaka. Mm -hmm. 17, The Steiners. 16, The Rock and Sock Connection. 15, The Wild Samoans. 14, The Rockers. Not even in the top 10. That's really surprising. And thinking about how, I mean, the Young Bucks alone show you how influential the Rockers are. Yeah. Right? So, yeah, I can't believe they didn't break the top 10. 13, speaking about the combination of mega talents, the mega powers. Yeah. 12, The Valiant Brothers. 11, Demolition. And then here we go into the top 10. So stretch our legs here a little bit because in light of who are not in the top 10, there's some wildly, wildly surprising inclusions here. So yeah. I'll ease off the gas here a little bit. So top 10. At the number 10 spot, the British Bulldogs. Yeah. And I don't think either of us are super familiar with them as a team, right? My best knowledge of the British Bulldog is independent or like a solo run. Yeah. I know the reputation. I've seen videos. I know the influence, but I'm not super, super familiar with them as a team. Bulldog signature for me is that Intercontinental win at Wembley, talking about SummerSlam 92. Yeah, with the braids. Yeah, absolutely. Right, like that's the image, yeah. Number nine, the Brothers of Destruction. Yeah, a great team for the storyline of it. And kind of, that one has a cool additional, like, kayfabe emotional piece to it, where... The Brothers. Yeah, and there's this contention between them, and... I know it's not the right thing to do, but I have to do it for my family type of... Yeah, that one has a cool kind of additional layer. So more prominent than, say, Hell No or Rock and Sock? Uh, I don't know. I think maybe then... Wow, that's a really good question. I can see it being in a higher up spot because it was so story heavy. Even to the build to them becoming a team... Like, that's many years of story being built, mm -hmm. and that being the payoff, and then the interplay within that. Cultural influence, I don't know. I don't. I feel like I can't go into a, a comment section where somebody's not using a Daniel Bryan gif at this point. You know what I mean? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm wearing a, a Danielson sweatshirt right now, so I'm very biased on that. <laughs> Number eight, the New Age Outlaws. Yeah, I don't know if there's a single person who watched the Attitude Era who still can't do the... The intro off the top of their head. Was, I mean, being a being a high school age boy at that time, they they had some cultural impact. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Yeah, here's a surprising entry for me at number seven, over the likes of the Rockers being further up the list, over 
frankly, the biological source material <laughs> yeah. of the likes of the Head Shrinkers and the Wild Samoans and so on. But the Usos are in at number seven. That one's very strange to me. I've been able to cobble together a defense for the other ones. I'm not sure why they're top 10. Right? Yeah. Number six, and this team is rightly placed for me. Maybe they should edge into the top five, but number six is the Legion of Doom. Yeah. Hawk and Animal, Paul Ellering, Motorbikes, Screaming. Yeah, and a major influence on some of your kind of more kind of dystopian characters today, right? Like anybody who's coming out in face paint as a tag team or anybody who's like that team of KTB and Shane Mercer, like that's an LOD influence all day long, right? Right. So, yeah. I think you even see footprints of them on teams like the Viking Raiders, which I think we talked about in our Wrestle Funnier episode of just fantasy booking. Like there's a genetic code between the two there, just visceral, raw brutality. Number five, odd inclusion for me, the Dudley boys. Yeah. I think it was important for them to get an ECW team in that top 10. And they are kind of the ECW team. I'd imagine their TLC stuff with the Hardys and Edge Christian probably also helped put them there, mm-hmm. being kind of revolutionary in that concept. To debate you for a second longer, top five? Top 10. Top five does seem pretty high. Yeah. Number four, uh, and of course, this team were pole position on a previous list, mm-hmm. but Edge and Christian. Now, to talk about all of the ingredients that WWE are informing us as fans have gone into this, including a pepper and a bias, Edge and Christian coming up together, knowing each other, the success apart and together definitely belong in the top five. I didn't really experience a lot of Edge and Christian in the real-time main run, but hard to argue that they don't belong in the top five for me. Yeah, those aforementioned matches, just their matches with the Hardys, breaking out of the brood, even kind of almost an emotional moment at this year's Rumble when Christian comes in and they hug in the middle of the ring. Just a lot of like really, the matches are great, but again, it's I think it's the chemistry with them that make them such a great team. No matter when they show up together, yeah, they can do something compelling. Getting to the top three here. I'm surprised this team are not at number one, frankly. Yeah. If we're talking personal bias, and again, WWE have given us clear insight that there's bias involved in this. This might be, we said it at the beginning, the absolute tag team, and it's the Hart Foundation. And of course, they're talking Brett and Anvil. They're talking that iteration of the Hart Foundation. When we talk about who's at number one, I have a hard time with this team being at number three. Yeah. Yeah, so much of the presentation, kind of the prototype of big, strong guy and small, scrappy fighter that's, like, evergreen there, right? Like, that's a go-to pairing. Yeah, I'm very surprised that they're at that previous list. They've actually dropped a spot since the last time they did this list. They were at number two before, and now they're at three. Mm. I mean, that's our personal bias coming in. (laughs) (laughs) I'm definitely with you. I'm surprised they've dropped a spot. For sure. You and I are both publicly and admittedly uh, Brett fans as well, aren't we? So there is that bias too as well. So Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Top two. Number two, the Hardy Boys. Brilliant tag team. Jeff and Matt. Yeah. Absolutely phenomenal. I think they're probably in the number three slot for me, though. Or maybe even number four. Yeah. With Edge and Christian not- notching up a little bit. Easily in the top five tag teams ever for impact, chemistry, yeah. technicality 
I think back to that WrestleMania 33 ladder match where they were the surprise entrance. Yeah. And some of the spots in that match were just, yeah. I mean, Jeff and Matt, frankly, put are crazy people, aren't they? Um, said affectionately. Yeah. The reaction when they came out, I think, really speaks to that and how big that was. So they moved up a couple spots from the last time to be ahead of Ezra Christian on this list. And then for the 2021 top 50 tag teams in the number one spot. And we talked about these guys and I have a lot of time for these guys. I think they're great. They're a lot of fun, but by fuck are they not the best tag team in the world ever? (laughs) Number one, the new day. I think this one is clearly a result of the metrics that they set out in that first section, right? Like they're only in WWE. They took kind of a weird aspirational Baptist church gimmick and turn it to what it is today. They have cereal and FYE, so there's cultural impact. Xavier does all that stuff. So it hits those four points. But yeah, number one is number one is weird to me, for sure. I mean, because I go so far to argue and, and granted it's not as it's not as explicit source material. Or maybe it is in fact. So what I was gonna say is I think you see the rockers in the new day you see oh yeah the loud colors you see the athletic high flying you see the agility you know obviously the the line between the rockers and the and the books is glaring right but the new day certainly have a bit more of a all day is an everyday party and throwing the pancakes and the trombones and the yeah. you know the bootios but the flamboyance matched with the prowess in the ring is all rockers to me you know coming out in the tassels coming out in the you know the upbeat music the sort of bouncing into the ring and flipping into the ring yeah i think what you're saying is is also kind of them using nostalgia a little differently to inform what they do today right because there's so many like nostalgic pieces them coming out dressed as final fantasy characters or whatever right the ice cream cart they had a couple years ago maybe that's part of it right is these like the new day is the culmination of these other 49 teams you take all that history and you end up with the new day type of thing right i could see that for them being way up on the list again thinking like the nasty boys being further down there you said it again maybe some of it's our own nostalgia some of our own bias coming in like the teams that you loved and adored objectively though like the nasty boys were a force to be reckoned with. Yeah. They had the titles. They were great heels. I remember thinking points in time, I can't imagine who would dethrone the Nasty Boys. You know, the Quebecers that are way down there. Not a massively, massively sort of prominent tag team. I I think the Mountie, Jacques, went on to have a more prominent solo career. Obviously, his Continental run, losing it to Roddy, all of that stuff. But... They sort of cultivated the same thing, that they were so dastardly and cheating and cut corners. And you found it hard to think who would dethrone them because they just didn't play by the rules. And again, obvious point, point of a heel, right? They're going to do that. Even their entrance theme was them talking shit on Americans in French Canadian. So nobody (laughs) knew. Like when you translate it, they're just making fun of the fans for two and a half minutes. Yeah, right. I mean... And they're down at like... 49-ish. 49, yeah. The Nasty Boys are at 41, and the Quebecers are at 48. How are the Nasty Boys not in the top 25? Yeah. Lots to debate and dissect on this on this list. Yeah, and looking at the, the one that they put in 2012, it's a very similar list. There's some new additions, New Day being one of them, which makes sense. They didn't exist in 2012 when they did this. 
so yeah, I don't know. It's just interesting the way things have kind of shifted within that top 10. Edge and Christian going from one to four. New Age Outlaws going from four to eight. LOD going from eight to six. This like weird shifting over the past 10 years in that top 10. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I'd be interested to see what this looks like in another five years even if they look at this again. It's interesting they've got a pairing like Owen and the Bulldog in there and have completely left out talk about the Heart Foundation. They've ignored the new Heart Foundation of Owen and Anvil. Or Owen and Yoko. I don't think we're on there. Or Owen and Yoko. Or really what was Owen's first foray into tag team with Coco Beware and High Energy. And again, talk about that sort of flamboyant color scheme, high-flying, agility. Yeah. You know, very Rockers-esque, very sort of New Day-esque. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And completely, here's where we kind of get your your conspiracy pinboard out. We're going to make some connections here right now. So much so that they're completely recreated as high energy in Chikara. Uh, and then when they break up, young and handsome Race Jackson loses the hype Rockwell, puts on the mask as blank, creates Still Life with Apricots and Pears, who is now Edith Surreal. So there's your direct line from from them to today. Get out your family tree, your uh, Ancestry.com yeah. for that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was a, a little bit of a walk, but that's, you know, what we do here. Amazing. <laughs> that's a good segue. So thinking about Edith Surreal, meaning modern day, thinking about this lineage through time, what are some of the standouts of modern day names on the indies or names just kind of who are the epitome of tag team wrestling for you today, sort of in the last, you know, I don't want to lock you down to a time period, but say in the last two or three years. So the team that I've I've started to see get a little bit more discussion that I'm really happy about is the Legion of Rot. Hello Wicked and Frightmare are starting to pop up on more and more shows. Just worked, I don't remember what company, just worked a show this weekend and won the titles. So glad to see, I mean, I, I can't tell you how many people name Hello Wicked is the the most underrated guy in the last 20 years. So they jumped to mind as somebody like, I'm really happy to see getting some play. And then, like I said, that KTB and Shane Mercer just doing some wild power-based tag team stuff. That's super fun. You get a lot of the high flyer double team, and they're kind of messing with that and doing some big boy stuff with it. So they're fun to watch too. What are they called? Iron Beast? Is that what it is? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, I want to say War Beast, but that's somebody else. You're right, Iron Beast. Yeah. After watching that RSP Spring Break show from Maine weekend and seeing Iron Beast go at it, um, yeah, I mean that was astonishing. They they look really good, don't they? Yeah. There was just a just a clip of Shane Mercer doing a one hand military press on somebody and clotheslining somebody at the same time. So match that with what KTB does, and that's I mean some real fun stuff to watch. Absolute beast. Yeah. I'm going to go for a big name. I'm going to break my own rule that I just imposed on you. <laughs> They've been around more than the last two or three years, but butchering the blade every day. Sure. Of course. Every day. I mean, what a tag team. I mean, it just has all of the ingredients. And two points that we've said throughout this discussion, points that you said, you've got Andy, you've got the butcher with the just, he's a big bastard, isn't he? He's strong, yeah. physically capable. You've got Jesse, the blade, that's still strong and still a big guy, but definitely kind of the more the technical wrestler. You can kind of see the different skill sets in the two. And I just love the gimmick. I love that you don't know whether they're sort of 
Leon the assassin type dudes or whether they're kind of, you know, just <laughs> backroup mob gun for hire type dudes. Yeah. It's a little bit like weird, like gangs in New York. Yeah. Stuff in there. Yeah. Yeah. There were segments after they appeared on Dynamite, which what a brilliant entrance for them as they came up through the ring and all the rest of it. But where they just started to appear when they weren't in the ring in just all white. And again, that's where I'm kind of making that Leon the Assassin analog with Jesse wearing sort of the John Lennon shades, the you know, the perfectly round shades and just being like in the kitchen and like, yeah, we 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 cut meat for a living. Uh, yeah, I, I yeah. bet you do. <laughs> they're just exciting, aren't they? I mean, they're yeah. phenomenal. Yeah. The other team that I sort of plucked out again, they've been around a little bit. And to say Chikara for a second time on this episode, they date back to a show that we went to in, in Allentown some years back. But the Sea Stars, Ashley Vox. Oh, yeah. And Delmi XO. Delmi XO. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Superb. High flying, agility. I think we saw them in a in a four-way match, didn't we? It was four tag teams when we saw that Chikara show. They were the only two female wrestlers facing six men, and they kicked ass. I mean, they're so good. Yeah, and great as baby faces. Like, the crowd is immediately behind them, and they can play that kind of underdog role so, so well. Yeah, that's a great pull, too. Yeah. Yeah. A team I want to see more of are, I guess, a pairing that I think just works so well on paper. And the pairing is so synergist is Danhausen and Warhorse. Warhausen. Yeah. Yeah. Warhausen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I want to see more of that. And of course they're kind of in different places at the moment, but I hope there's a place where they can really reconvene that. And um, yeah, that aesthetic, that gimmick writes itself, doesn't it? Yeah. And then we saw at the, speaking of Andy, the Every Time I Die show, we saw Gaytanic Panic, Effie and uh, Danhausen came out. Right. And then Bussy, Effie and Ellie Cat. So it's like moving groups within that kind of crew. It's certainly alive and well on the indies, isn't it? There's some, there's some really good tag teams coming out. Oh, for sure. There's a team in Limitless, Main Street Posse, who are really good, who are that sort of, they're right in that sort of hardcore deathmatch arena. They bring, you know, weapons to to the match and uh, yeah for a shout out to msp my beloved favorite band the manic street preachers of course i'm going to be a fan of the uh of the main street posse <laughs> they were awesome i've seen msp main street posse on a couple shows and just the trash cans come out the staple guns come out you know yeah the other one i was just thinking when you mentioned it was willow nightingale and solo darling yeah being another great team yeah, I feel like we could kind of do this all night. Just like <laughs> as you say, when I'm like, oh yeah, and then these guys, and, and then these guys, right? Yeah, yeah. Willow Nightingale is destined for amazing things. Oh yeah, yeah. But um, that list again. This was just kind of a real superficial scratch at tag teams, wasn't it? And to come full circle, we agreed at the beginning. I like the variation. It gives you that different ice cream flavor to wrestling, doesn't it? There's a future conversation in the trios and factions, isn't it? And just how well those storylines play out. I'm kind of eager to see where AEW go with this trio stuff because they're really building the, the factions again. Yeah. This list did stir some consternation, I think would be fair to say, didn't it? <laughs> yeah. And definitely, like, when you told me that was out and you told me who's number one, I was like, well, I got to see what these other 49 are then. <laughs> yeah. Definitely start a conversation. Yelling through the list at the disagreements. <laughs> yeah. That said, all tag team matches must come to a natural end, I dare say. And it's time to probably tag out after pulling that list apart. We should, as always, give a shout out to our family members on the Lunchadale Podcast Network. 
The Anomaly presents film podcast, of course. There is the Beer Review Journal. There is Mimosas with My Besties and Caleb vs. Self, as well as The Mind of Magnus. Some great shows on the Lunch and Hour podcast. And uh, as I teased the Manic Street Preachers there, I think we've got another exciting project coming in the works that may see, with another nod to tag teams, the brothers from the Beer Review Journal and our good selves come together in a conversation, and we'll uh, we'll keep that in the teaser reel for now and under wraps. But I think uh, an exciting project coming together of a slightly different flavor, isn't it? Yeah, super excited about that one. That one's shaping up to be a lot of fun. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Speaking of music, do you want to give a shout out to the socials and our theme music, Josh? So you can find us on socials at ISWrestlePod, uh, both Twitter and Instagram. Thank you, as always, to Alien Trilogy for use of their song Michinoku Driver as our opening and closing theme. As always, folks, thanks for tuning in, giving us a listen. Massively appreciate the support. We'll see you next time. Take care. Yeah. Michinoku Driver! <laughs>